I'm Sydney. And I'm Julie. And this is Restaurant and Retail Revelations. to this episode of Restaurant and Retail Revelations, you are in for a treat. This is a podcast that spotlights key players in the restaurant and retail industries, and it's made possible by Revel Systems, the leading cloud-native transactional platform. And this episode's timing is perfectly aligned with Halloween, the spookiest season of them all. Exactly. With the season in mind, we've got the inside scoop on an even spookier topic. Revel's Chief Strategy Officer, Chris Libier, is with us today to talk about why the POS is dead. Keep listening to hear the rationale behind this bold proclamation, and let's hope the episode isn't too frightening for any of our listeners. All righty, Chris, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, Glad to be here. Uh, before we offer our listeners insight into a day in the life of Revel's chief strategy uh, strategy officer, I would like to start with a kind of a wider lens and talk to you about your career as a whole. So you've seen tremendous change in the cash register, then point of sale, and now transactional platform industry. And I'd like to talk to you just a little bit more about the notable milestones in technology since you got your start. So will you walk us through that? Uh, sure, Sydney. Boy, you're really exposing me here, though, when you said cash registers. So um, unfortunately, you are correct. I've been in this space for uh, well over three decades. And in fact, my first job out of um, college, I had a computer engineering degree right when that was kind of a newfangled thing. And I went to NCR to help them build their next generation grocery store solution, which at the time was when we were first starting to scan things um, in a grocery store, you know, versus a cashier picking it up, looking at the price and, you know, punching buttons to ring it in. So um, that, if if you want to know how long I've been around this sort of transaction technology space, there you go. Um, Far too long. Um, So, you know, what I will say is this, I've seen probably what I would say is, is sort of three generations of technology and specifically when we're talking about the the restaurant and retail uh, industry, you know, there was a period from somewhere in the 90s to really just a few years ago where things were relatively static. Uh, I mean, technology was certainly bought and used to, you know, facilitate the transactions um, in restaurants and retailers. And there were sort of, you know, a, a a handful of, of unique new things that would come along, but the fundamental way that people operated did not change a ton. Um, and, you know, I think the big thing that's happening now, and it's really not because of COVID, COVID is accelerating it probably, but it's not because of COVID, but the access for consumers to have technology, you know, in their, at their fingertips, literally, whether that's a cell phone or an iPad or whatever, is, is just totally changing the dynamic. And they've just got a completely new set of expectations. And, you know, it's whether it's the Amazonification of, you know, what's happening in retail or all the d- digital channels, you know, in the restaurant space, it, it's a whole new world out there. And so technology is gone from kind of this thing that was 
in the background, under the covers, helping the operation to now being at the forefront of how people need to do business. And it's also going to keep changing quickly because consumers keep, you know, they're thirsty for more technology and clever ways to do things. So this is, this is, this is new. Um, and I think it's the first time really in quite a long time that we're seeing some transformational and, you know, I've never thought of it this way. So thanks for, for, you know, kind of getting my memory all the way back to those early days. It is a little like when I came out of school and we were going from mechanical cash registers to, you know, automation um, in that space. And I would say since that very big transformation, this is the first time we're having another kind of wholesale transformation of how, how these industries work. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And at Rebel, we're grateful for your three decades of experience. You, you bring a lot of really interesting perspectives. So now that we've established a little bit about your career journey and what's led you here, can you offer listeners kind of a cliff notes of a typical day for a Rebel Chief Strategy Officer? Um, sure, I, I, I'd love to. Um, so uh, <laughs> a typical day, um, especially in COVID, unfortunately, it's not going to the office every day like it used to be. And I, I dearly miss that. So now it's going to my local coffee shop so that I can <laughs> get a coffee and see some people besides the uh, walls in my home office. And, and then it's actually quite a variety of things. Um, my time is spent very equally between spending time with customers, uh, spending time with our sales team, listening to what their needs are, hearing what they're learning from the market, spending time with the industry, whether that's at conferences or just other folks in the space to learn. Uh, is in spending time with our product team, uh, helping them with their roadmap and such. So, you know, I feel my job is actually to work across all of the different pieces of the organization to make sure we're all going down the same road of providing, you know, our prospects and customers what they need to thrive um, with all the change that's going on. And the, and the only way to do that is to be talking to a lot of different constituents frequently and you know, making sure we're all you know, kind of noticing the changes, the trends, the you know, the requirements, and getting them quickly so that we can respond to the market uh, into our plans, so that we can deliver solutions to our customers. So another one of the hats you wear for Rebel is spokesperson when there's a media engagement opportunity. And with that comes a lot of brand positioning. I know that also aligns with some of those industry events that you spoke to as well. And lately, a key rebel message has been the future is now and that the POS as we know it is dead. So that's a pretty bold statement for a company that provides a POS platform. And among other business management solutions, you know, what do we mean when we say that? I would really just love to hear more from you about kind of the rationale behind that message. And then, of course, how rebel fits into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is a bit provocative. I actually first said it two years ago at FS Tech in a talk that, that the POS is dead. And I believe it now more than ever. Um, and what I mean by that is this, and it, it very much ties into some of the you know, thoughts I've shared with you already. I think, let's just say 10 or 15 years ago, uh, people really, the, the, you know, the POS solution was kind of behind the scenes and everybody thought of it as, a set of technology that provided a list of feature functions to ring up transactions at the POS. And that was kind of 90% of its job. And that's all it needed to do. And I think we, we know now, I probably don't even need to over explain this, but 
um, with all the different digital channels, you know, online ordering, the you know, ingestion from other sources, kiosks, all the things that are starting to happen in the space. Um, and we've all seen some of the stats from COVID where, you know, as many as 70 or 80% of the transactions at a restaurant are not going through a traditional POS, they're coming in from other channels. Your technology is not about this, this narrower thing called the POS. It's really about the whole transaction platform, your digital transaction platform being a single source of truth and kind of the heartbeat in the center of all the different things that go on in your organization, whether it's loyalty programs or these digital channels or your kitchen and all the optimization and you know KDS systems and stuff that you need to do there. You need something to be at the center of that. And, and that's really what Revel Solution is. It's a digital transaction platform and I just want to remind people, because we still see some folks, not all, but some, you know, in the industry who come out with an RFP, and it feels like 90% of the questions are about feature functions of a point of sale system. And they're trying to compare, you know, one vendor versus another on that list of criteria. And again, you know, five, 10 years ago, that might have been the most important thing. I don't, I don't think it is anymore. You really, the most important thing is, do you have a platform that can take you into the future? Is it flexible? What's the time to market as things change to see the new things in your platform? You know, what's the TCO of your platform? Uh, can you be fast on your feet? Um, you know, can you connect new partners in when you want to do new unique things? Those should be the questions you're asking. And I think the forward thinking organizations are already asking those. I think many others are starting to blend it in, but I, there's still some folks who just, it's just habit, right? They kind of repeat the cycle they went through before when they're thinking about a technology change. And, and I would argue that it's very different, much like it's very different from choosing a mechanical cash register versus a computerized scanning system. And you need to throw out all the old thinking and just kind of start over. And so that's why I, I think I'm making a provocative statement that the POS itself in ringing up a transaction, that's almost a commodity. That is not the question in play in terms of choosing a vendor. It's, it's other things. And I think we all have to get focused on those other things that are gonna make the industry thrive. A, a, a POS that's got three or more features more than the other vendor, three you know, or a couple less, is probably gonna have nothing to do with the actual material success of your business. A POS system that is faster to change, that costs less to operate, that keeps up with things, that allows you to integrate partners quickly, that can have a material impact on, on the success of your business. Right. And, and related, you know, there's been so many shifts in the industry and you've seen so many global events with major lasting impacts to the business that Revel serves, namely restaurants and retailers. A few that come to mind would be the, the recession in 2008, and then most recently COVID, of course. So in your opinion, which of these events has had the greatest impact um, on the way businesses operate as a whole? And then what would the greatest pitfall be to merchants when trying to anticipate and ultimately respond to these events? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, another good question, Julie. You know, all, all those events had an impact. I, I do think COVID is the biggest one and not just because it's the most recent um, but it, it definitely really hit at the heart of this industry. And it, it wasn't actually so much even just the COVID part of it and whether people could or couldn't go to restaurants somehow, you know, that's a little bit behind us, not totally, but a little, you know, it, it's moving to be behind us. 
But the downstream effect of that is it's created a, a big change in the labor workforce, right? There's people that were in the services industry that found other jobs. Um, they're not all, you know, as interested in coming back to the industry. And so, you know, the whole cost structure of the industry is changing. The whole, you know, hiring philosophy is changing. You know, as a consumer, I still want service. So I still want people to be in the store. I don't think it's, you know, or the restaurant. I don't think it's all about tech completely eliminating people. We can certainly help reduce labor in many ways. And uh, we certainly have parts of our solution that do that, but you still need people in the store. So I, I think COVID has reshuffled the landscape, you know, for um, the business model uh, of, of our customers and probably, you know, in a, in a bigger way than anything uh, has in the last 50 years. And so I think that's the, the biggest dynamic. And then that, along with what I mentioned earlier, which is consumers continue to be more digital. And so they're forcing the issue, right? Um, so the combination of those two things, it's just, it, it's very new. And it, it is probably, um, you know, once every 50 year kind of transformation that's going on right now. And I, you know, I said this at the current FS Tech a, a few weeks ago, but it, that we should look at that as an opportunity. We should look at that as exciting. Um, you know, it's it, it's when things are changing that the folks who are work the hardest, execute the best, do the right things when they succeed more than ever, and it tends to shake out the folks that were kind of just you know lazy with their businesses. So. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I like solving problems. I like coming up with creative ideas, just doing things the same old way, um, you know, it, it's not very exciting. So uh, we can think of this as a glass half full opportunity or, or we could be all bummed about where we're at. But, you know, at the end of the day, we definitely have a global economy that likes to eat out. People want these, these you know, these businesses and need these businesses to be a part of our lives. The businesses just have to adjust to, to the, some of these uh, new realities that are that are challenging, um, honestly. Yeah, for sure. I, I really love the optimistic approach and in keeping that lighter note. Um, I'd actually like to talk a little bit just about the, the C that's in your title and the fact that you know there were probably a lot of influences and motivators that helped support you and helped you develop into the leader that you are today. So do you have any names or resources you can share along with how they helped you in your own journey? Boy, that's that there's been so many, obviously. Um, I've had some great mentors along the way and, and some, um, you know, I've read a, a ton of books, et cetera. I think they all contribute to the stack. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, um, and if we didn't set this up, by the way, even though I just said it in the last answer, I think the biggest learning for me, you know, relatively early in my career um, came from, you know, somebody who was leading a group uh, actually when I was at NCR doing development um, on these solutions early in my career, who basically coached me uh, into this glass half full philosophy. I think personally, I kind of lean that way, but I think one mistake a lot of people make is thinking that you know, like I'll set it up with this example. When you come home from work and who's ever in the household with you, your spouse or somebody else or whatever says, how was your day? Um, you know, very often you judge that by, wow, I dealt with a lot of problems today. It was tough. It was stressful. Or wow, a couple of really good things happened. We closed this sale or we finished this project and it was, you know, good, good stuff happened. 
And, and then we judge our day by the number of good things versus the number of problems we dealt with. Well, the reality is, I think the reason that the word called work, I don't know what it says in the dictionary. We could, we could look that up in a second, I guess. But uh, if we look it up, it's, not, it's really not about totaling up things that are victories or good things happening. The reality is, especially as you grow in more responsibility in an organization, the main part of your job is actually often dealing with challenges. You know, when, you're, when a project hits a wall, when you've got a resource challenge, when an industry like restaurants right now are having labor shortages, what do we do about it? It's problem solving. And that can be stressful. I'm not, 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 not saying that, but that, that is um, the lion's share of a you know, manager's job in an organization. And that early coach basically said to me, you have to take that and view that as a glass half full opportunistic positive thing that you just worked on a bunch of problems today because if you go home every day saying, I just worked on a bunch of problems and I'm exhausted, then you're not meant really to be a manager or leader in an organization. So keeping everybody in that frame of reference, keeping your team in that frame of reference, um, balancing the natural stress with, wow, we are making progress. We're working through problems for ourselves, for our customers, we're making things better. Um, I think you've got to build a culture that thrives on that instead of a culture that gets weighed down by that. And I would say that is my biggest philosophical piece of advice for folks, um, you know, in, in, in terms of how to make sure that you're driving value into your business um, with, without sort of dying on the vine at the same time. So. That's an awesome outlook and philosophy. And I think not always easy to do, but something, you know, to certainly strive for. Yeah. So Which is why wanna... you got to remind yourself all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do want to build on that, Chris, um, some of those more influential moments in your career. Is there any memorable on the job learning experience that sticks out to you? Maybe it was at Revel or a project of the past um, that, that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, again, probably quite a few. Uh, but I will pick on one. I was with a company called Radiant Systems for quite a while. I was an early executive there. Uh, they are actually the company that brought Aloha to market and uh, worked it, you know, up to a, be a leader in the market, and um, among other things. And you know, we were a company that had some really nice early success. It was started kind of just a little bit before the dot com time, and it was a, a period where technology was being rapidly adopted. And so we were doing quite well. And um, we embarked on a project. Um, I think the name of it was Wave at the time or something. I don't know. We, you know, we gave it some clever code name. And we decided we were gonna like rewrite a whole system. It was actually, we didn't call it in the cloud at a time, but it was with a new set of technology to completely run the entire back office operation in restaurants as well as their enterprise all in one big swoop. And we were going to do it like in nine months. And it was like the scope of what we were trying to do was literally monstrous. Like nobody had ever, you know, first of all, that piece of software didn't exist. It was a bunch of separate products and, you know, in the way the world worked at that time. And we just like our eyes were so much bigger than our stomachs. And like we kind of knew it, 
but we had too much bravado about it, you know, and we went for it. Well, didn't, didn't work out so well. First of all, it, you know, after, you know, the nine months or a year, when we thought we'd get it done, we were probably 20% of the way. Um, and we chugged away at it for a little while longer. And then we actually had to make some structural changes in the company. We couldn't keep burning that much R&D on a project that was generating no sales and no revenue. It, at the end of the day, we built some things in there that did become products over time. So it wasn't a complete, you know, uh, throw it away kind of experience. But it did teach me one thing, which is you have to have success incrementally. And I think especially now more than ever with technology changing so fast, you know, it used to be 30 years ago, and you could read this in some of the business books or if you, you know, in your MBA classes, people would put together five-year strategic plans. I'm a chief strategy officer, and I'll tell you right now, there's no way I'm ever, I'm not going to do a five-year strategic plan. I don't know what the hell is going to be going on in three or four years. Um, not with any specificity anyway, right? So that's, to me, that's a ridiculous concept. I also don't think you can take on too much at one time. So I think it's very much about what that project taught me is you have to assess where you're at and you got to look at the next, I'll call it 18 to 24 months and say, this is the direction our business is going in. Here's the general things we need to do. And then for about the next year, you got to lay out the specifics that you can focus on and deliver and kick butt on that. And then after a period of time's gone by, you know, a few quarters, you redo that again for the next year. You know, you think two years out, you decide for the next year what you're actually going to do and you execute on it. But trying to, um, you know, solve a problem that's too big, um, that's too overwhelming uh, or trying to think too far ahead, I think is, is very dangerous and in almost not even feasible in the world we live in today, certainly not for our types of companies. And I can't speak to, you know, if Google's going to make a self-driving car and that's a massive project. I mean, that, that, but none of us are living in that space, right? So I think we've got to be a lot more practical and we, we have to be giving solutions to our customers on a relatively, you know, frequent basis. And so we've got to be an iterative business and I would say that that moment really taught me. And even in that company, we really stepped back and rethought about even if we wanted to accomplish something big, we broke it down into a lot of little pieces after that. So, yeah, that's and it, it definitely it speaks to the rate of change and how things are just accelerating in speed and in delivery. That's it. That makes it even more difficult to be a forecaster of any kind. So yeah, I mean, we might. I mean, I, there might be a drone delivering my Chinese food next week to my porch. I, <laughs> I, I that I, actually, I am hundred percent sure that will happen. I just don't know if it's in eighteen months, three years, five, seven, nine, or fifteen, but it will happen. And when it's close enough to starting to happen, then we should deal with it, but I'm not building drone software yet. So we're, we're not interfacing any drones to our solution yet. We'll stay tuned. Yeah. Um, putting business aside for a moment, you know, for the folks who don't have the opportunity to work alongside you, of course, you're not all business all the time. So what are some of your favorite pastimes outside of the office? Um, boy, that's, um, I've got a few, I guess. Um, they're, they're pretty easy for me. I live in a wonderful uh, neighborhood um, near Midtown Atlanta called Virginia Highlands. Um, several of our kids live here. We've got six kids um, in our family. 
couple of them are already married, you have a couple grandkids. And so we love just spending time in the neighborhood, walking around, having dinner with our families, uh, et cetera. And I would say that's probably my you know, favorite thing to do is just be present in our neighborhood, be outside, um, enjoy the community. And then on the more sort of classic side, um, I'm, I'm a big sports fan kind of across the board, but my vice personally is playing golf. That is my escape to another place where, um, you know, I don't even bring my phone in the golf cart with me. And um, so that's a place I can escape. And um, I, I love that, even though it's the most frustrating game in the world. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and Chris, before we wrap up, is there, are there any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners that we didn't ask you today? Well, I, you know, listen, if anybody's got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them, number one, from the other side. This POS dead thing is provocative. Um, I'd love to hear where other people think we need to be focusing in the next 18 to 24 months. Um, always want to hear that input. And, you know, I, to, to me, we just, as an industry, it's a time of big change. I think we need to A, recognize it, and, and then B, start thinking differently about how we go about doing technology. And I know we're trying to do that at our company. We're trying to, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, you know, we've talked about it within our group. I'd like to just never use the word POS again in any of our marketing and any of our, but that probably would be a little too soon and a little too confusing, but we are a digital platform. And I think we've got to think differently about, about how to add value uh, for our customers. And I, I am always open, you know, have open ears to hearing about what we need to be doing uh, and what we aren't yet thinking about uh, to meet the upcoming needs. So if you're ready to do the drone delivery sooner than I think, um, you know, give me a shout. Love it. I love it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. We're really glad that you were able to join us and share just a little bit more about your journey, your insights, and then certainly the trajectory for the POS, maybe not over the next five years, but certainly in, in the near future and some changes that we're already dealing with now that are already at play. So um, appreciate it. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing you in a, a future Zoom call <laughs> here for Rebel. Okay, perfect. Exciting times ahead. There'll be more to talk about. Thank you, Julie and Sydney. All right, we've got ghosts, zombies, and I guess drone delivery. Uh, what an episode to align with Halloween. And speaking of Halloween, Julie, do you remember celebrating together the last time we were in the Rebel office? <laughs> yes, what a throwback. We did the, um, the pod decorating contest for Halloween. It had been such a tough year for Atlanta sports teams and playoff hopes were, were ruined. So yeah, the whole team put zombie makeup on and our, our kind of sad sports jerseys. And there was headstone decorating, um, which was dark, but I loved it. And, and a nod to uh, even the former Atlanta Thrashers hockey team. So hopefully 2021 yields some better results for Atlanta sports. But as Halloween draws near, we've got another theme that we could use as a decorative headstone, I guess. It's the POS as we know it is dead. Yeah, so we've heard it here now from our chief strategy officer, Chris Libier. The classic POS may be dead, but in the same optimistic way that he approaches his workday, it's a new dawn for the digital transactional platform. So it's not all doom and gloom. 
I want to say for folks interested in taking Chris up on his invitation to share your own thoughts and experience related to what's next for restaurants and retail technology, connect with us at an upcoming event. You can actually find all of the events where our Revel team will be present at revelsystems.com slash events. It's pretty easy to remember. Yeah, we, we really look forward to meeting you. And for those gearing up for Halloween, we hope you have a great holiday and that ha- any hauntings you experience are, are friendly ghosts or cash registers, nothing too, too scary. And for everyone who tuned into this episode, thanks so much for listening. Like and subscribe to Restaurant and Retail Revelations. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.